This episode is powered by Safety FM. The Crucial Talks Podcast with your host, Mike Saddam. Hello, everyone. This is Mike Saddam, and welcome back to the Crucial Talks Podcast. If you could do me a quick favor, I'd really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast and subscribe to it. That would help us tremendously in building an audience of people that really wants to understand what drives them and what drives others. Also, if you have any questions for me, you can always feel free to reach out to me by visiting CrucialTalks.com or through LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. Now, you've heard me on this podcast before talking about people as social storytellers. In fact, I believe we're the most social creature on the planet and that people crave social esteem and belonging. In other words, we need relationships. Now, today's guest is Dr. Gary D. Salyer. Gary wrote a book called Safe to Love Again, How to Release the Pain of Past Relationships and Create the Love You Deserve. Now, the reason I thought Gary could bring value to the Crucial Talks podcast is because we can take his expertise and apply it to our relationships. Now, not only do I think this applies to our one-on-one relationships, but I think it can also apply to any relationships we have. And Gary talks about six rights, and I think it will be interesting to apply these to all of our relationships and see if we can learn some things that can help us in many areas of life. So without further ado, let's welcome Gary Salyer to the Crucial Talks podcast. How are you doing today, Gary? I'm doing great, Mike. Well, thanks for being on. Um, you have a pretty interesting background. And, you know, we've talked about heroes' journeys and things like that before on this podcast where you have to go through troubled times and trials and then you come out of it better on the other end. Now, I'd like for you, if you don't mind, to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to this place where you're helping other people, where you've written this book, Safe to Love Again, where you're in this area where you're an expert on relationships, how did you get there? What was your journey like to get to this place? Well, it starts out when I was a kid. You know, I came from a very dysfunctional family. My mother was mentally ill and borderline personality disorder and a few other things. And I'm, I was literally the first person in gener- seven generations to graduate from high school. So when I go to college, I'd seen all this dysfunction, all this pain, all this misery. And I was committed that I was not going to wind up divorced like everybody else. I wasn't going to wind up miserable. So I had a, I was a psychology and religion major. In my senior year, one of my favorite professors calls me and says, hey, take this personality test. And I took it. And then we, he was going over it. And he says, oh, by the way, you have a 90% chance of being divorced. Well, I was like floored. So I literally suspended graduation and took a fifth year uh, to get another, you know, to take a bunch of courses in marriage and family relationships. And then when I got a a third degree, I said, okay, I, I think I'll knock this thing off. So imagine how disappointed I was when 12 years later, my first wife says, I want a divorce. So I, you know, so I go after this whole holy grail in my life again, and I go through like seven, eight years of therapy. I take 
seminars with everybody. You, know, you do the whole codependency movement. And I, and I remarried. And four years later, I'm divorced again. And after doing more therapy, I realized that therapy had not changed my core style of relating, that it had done many good things for me. It helped me manage my pain really well, but it didn't change it. And that was the day I said, if they can't crack the code, then I will. And I said, something's when you work this hard to avoid it and you do this much studying, there's got to be a better way. And so that was about 12 years ago. And I just decided that I was going to find out how we get our brains to really act and think the way the people who have lasting relationships do. That's how I kind of came about it. Uh, just the, the pain of trying and trying and trialing and with the best of effort coming up with the same groundhog day. Well, and that's what's interesting is the fact that you were able on your journey, you actually were able to transform yourself. Now, one of the things I found interesting on your website, which is GarySalyer.com, what I found interesting was that you actually said that in the past, you had told yourself these stories about how you weren't good enough. And these stories kind of led you down this path. But by changing that and letting go of it, you were able to transform your relationships. How did that actually look in in operation when you're trying to change, when you're trying to tell yourself, a, tell yourself a new story or adopt new behaviors or new thought processes or new mindset, what did that actually look like for you? So when I started doing this research, it was really interesting, Mike. I, you know, an attachment theory, they, uh, they found out back in the 80s that a researcher by the name of Mary Main began to find out that the way a person tells their story, whether they're doing a secure story, you know, or what they call the anxious or the avoidant ones, um, that predicts with 85% accuracy, not only their future experience, but the, the relationship style of their children. So our stories not only impact our own future, but actually will determine whether our children feel safe in a relationship or they're anxious or they feel like they need to avoid them. That, when I saw that, that's when I realized that this whole victim story I've been telling me wasn't going to work. And we know that the function of memory, Mike, is not to, to tell the past. The function of memory is to predict the future. So the brain uses past memories to say what it's allowed to have in the future, what it should create in the future. So it's important if we're telling our stories, we can tell it in an anxious way. Oh, my God, I was this victim. And I was telling stories like, you know, no matter what I did with my mother, she was mentally ill. I was never going to be enough. And oh, my God. And, and what is the problem with women anyway? You know, can you ever be good enough with them? That was one. That was the kind of early story. And then after two divorces, I was telling this, this story that was more on the avoidance side. It was like, you know, um, it's nice that there's love out there, but you got to be really careful here. And I think next time I'm going to be really careful. And, and they're going to have to prove themselves this time. Uh, this time, you know, uh, I've done my work. They had better do their work. And and I'm going to take a real long time getting to know them. And they better not have any trips or anything like that. They better have their stuff together. Well, that's an anxious way. 
uh, an avoidant way. And so what I tell myself now is, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I've had my, my failures in love and they were all lessons. And I'm merely, and with my childhood and all that, I look back and all that pain was pretty painful to go through, but I've learned lessons and I'm grateful for those lessons. They've made me better people, a better person. And the thing that I know about love is, is, you know, if we are present in the moment, we can make it better. We, we have a right to create our own experience. And so every day uh, I look at life and I look at love and I look at all my relationships and, and I ask myself, how can I show up in a, in a better way, a more loving way? And that makes all the difference. I get to create my relationships. They don't happen to me. I create them. Well, and that's a well, and I think that's yeah. pretty interesting because you said a couple of interesting things just at the end there that I want to hit on. And you you said that we have a right to create our own experience and that you admitted to yourself that you can show up in a better way and that you create those relationships and you create that that environment. But what's interesting, what I really find interesting about talking to you, and I've heard it from other guests before is this whole notion on perception and how we're viewing the world around us. And it really sounds like you have come to a place where through your experiences and through your education and through what you've learned and through dealing with other people and you know acting as a coach or a consultant and an author and all these things, you figured out that we can actually change the lens we wear to view our world and that impacts our behaviors. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this thing you talked about with your right to create our own experience, it sounds like you're saying that in our relationships, we have certain rights. And that's what I think is in your book. Is that correct? That's correct. Now, how many of these rights are there? I think there's six. But what are those rights? I know we probably can't get into all of them, but but what are they generally? Uh, so people can kind of have an understanding of what you're talking about with regards to relationships. So. I argue in a book that what gives a, a human being or their brain a full capacity to love and be loved? These, these rights are about capacities. They're like permission slips. And there are six of them. And we get them usually between zero and three. Sometimes a later experience can affect them. The first is a right to, to exist, where we know we have a right to feel welcomed with joy in our relationships in the world. There's a right to reach out and have your needs met. That it's okay to feel worthy and deserving and nourished. There's also a right to what I call to separate and belong. You get to be a me. You don't have to be enmeshed and you don't have to let other people determine your experience. But you also, you don't have to be the marble man out there or the marble woman. You get to be in a we. You get to have a surrounding envelope of support so that you don't have to be doing your, your dreams without, a, without the high wire, you know, on your high wire act of your life with no support uh, net underneath you. So it's about the right to support a me and a we. Then there's the right to create your own experience. Others are not the standard of your experience and you get to be okay with all of you. You get to feel empowered to be weak and strong, good and bad, kind and maybe not so kind. You get to be all of that. Then there's a right to assert, which also gives you the feeling of empowered with choice, and finally, our right to love and be loved, not split, not I love and I don't get to be loved as much or I get to be loved, but I don't get to love them as much. 
a full right to love and be loved. So when you have a right to exist, have your needs met, to separate and belong, to create your own experience, to assert, and to love and be loved. If those are up and running, you're probably going to create a really good relationship. And when you, when childhood or, or adult experience takes those away, your op, your brain opts to be anxious, run, you know, or avoidant, a fight or fight flight response, and that doesn't work for love. So when we have all those rights, then we love and we pick partners in more lasting ways. Well, and I see this very interesting because the people listening to this podcast now obviously will have relationships, one-on-one relationships where they do want love, where they do want that closeness, where they do want that bond. But there's also a lot of people on this podcast, listening to this podcast, that are business owners, that are workers, that are mid-level managers, supervisors. There's people in all these different roles in, in professional and business life that I think can get some value, not only from how this applies to those one-on-one you know, dating relationships or marriages, that sort of thing. But when you're saying those rights, I'm imagining in my head all these things that people would also want for a positive workplace experience. It sounds like a lot of this that you're talking about crosses over to many different kinds of relationships. Have you seen that in your experience? Uh, 100% of the time, Mike, 100% of the time. In fact, I have a chapter in the book, chapter three, called Love is the Operating System. And I, sh- and I show, unlike most relationship books, that these rights and the experiences we are allowed to have in, 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 in our brain for love, that when we have these rights, they always go elsewhere because the brain takes our attachment system. That's what this is about, our love style. And it just swaps out these rights for other areas. Like, for instance, I can tell you, that every woman client who has worked with me on love and relationships, and if she were uh, an entrepreneur, she got a better business. And the way it works is when you don't have a right to exist, <clears throat> a lot of us, it's so we usually weren't welcomed very much. We were ejected child early on, like right out of the crib. And that rejection, we kind of we kind of pull into our heads, we go into our left brain versus our right brain, we're not embodied and we aren't present and we don't have access to our emotions. Those are the effects of that. Now, with that missing right, every business owner that had one also had a horrible time at client care. They, they, or if they were in sales, they just didn't have enough rapport to really even start the sales and their sales process went horrible because they didn't have the right to connect. If they didn't have a right to have their needs met, that might be they in a relationship, they pick some taker. But in business, it worked out is, if you're not worthy to reach out and to receive, then you won't charge your value, you'll be constantly giving away freebies, or you'll just find some way to never get paid. Uh, the right to separate and belong is, well, I said, it was about having a we that really supports you. These people will constantly trying to build a business without proper support. Either they won't get coaching or they won't get the, the maybe the, the virtual assistance. Or if they do get virtual assistance, they'll be the type that don't support them. They, they flake on them. Uh, and I'll tell you a story about that in a minute. If they don't have a right to create their own experience, marketing is all about creating an experience for somebody else to believe in you and your, and, or your products. If you can't create that for yourself, how can you create it? So marketing goes the way there. 
if they don't have a right to assert good luck speaking, good luck speaking, if they don't have a right to love and be loved, then they will not feel comfortable or they won't be able to build a, a raving fan club. So all of those are important parts of business. For instance, one year I had four high level entrepreneurial women, all seven figures in their business. So they had a, a, a wonderful right to have their needs met. They could charge their value. That was no problem. But all of them had boyfriends that would flake on them. That meant like they, if they were moving, that that person, their boyfriend would take off on vacation and come back when the move was over. And all of them had support staffs that would start flaking on them or take, people would go on, on vacations uh, in the middle of a launch or a big product launch or when some big project was, uh, was up and due. One said to me, I'm in the middle of this big project and my website and my marketing person just took off for a week and they know I've got this, but this sounds just like my boyfriend. Is there a correlation? Yes. So whatever we our brain is allowed in any in loving relationships, it takes that same template and cookie cutter, and you'll find the same shape of experience, the same cookie cutter elsewhere in your life. So the best way to work on your business is to find out what's going on in the relationship of love, because those love templates are what's determining probably 90% of the other experiences in your life. Well, and I find it really interesting that you've been able to address these business owners' problems they may be having in their business based on these six rights that have to do with relationships. Because what I, I really found it interesting that you were able to point back to all of those, because when I'm looking at these, I see very much that they're about emotions and feelings and that sort of thing. And even when we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, those those kind of two bottom rungs of the ladder, the need for safety and security and and those sorts of things are very basic needs that most businesses can or well actually have to give to people. And if they're missing, it's more of a, a negative on the business. But if they're there, it's not a positive. It's just an average. But what it looks like, what you're hitting on are those those higher rungs, those things like self-esteem and belonging and love, obviously, and self-actualization, it seems like you're hitting those higher areas of what people, as human beings, what we actually need. Now, have you seen this also apply to maybe a mid-level manager or even a field-level worker, somebody who's getting the job done? And if you're able to see that correlation do these things also apply to how the CEO or how the manager treats their employees? Oh, absolutely. So, 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 the, so that the listener can understand, the heart and soul of my book is I say that what tells your brain you're loved are these four reference feelings that give you these six months. And because your brain is using four feelings to know when it's loved or not, those feelings are welcomed with joy. Oh, Really great to be on your show, Mike. That's welcome and joy. Good morning, gorgeous. Um, it's uh, also the, a worthy and, and nourished. You feel worthy to have your needs met, cherished and protected, and empowered with joy. So if you're feeling worthy, welcomed, cherished, and empowered, you're feeling pretty good in that relationship. Now, imagine, so, and one of the things I know is that from top down, uh, we must be giving these uh, feelings 
to be effective leaders. Uh, show me a leader who makes his people feel or his, his subordinates feel disempowered or not cherished or not worthy, and I'll show you uh, an organization in which there is low morale, and from low morale comes lack of productivity. Lots of studies in organizational psychology about that. Um, now, if you think about, like, I, I had the story of, I met this guy on a plane, he worked at a big Fortune 500 company, and he was a consultant, C-level, and he'd worked in a lot of places where it was all about, you just got to drive, 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 drive. And uh, he was there the first week, and the CEO comes by his office on about 6 o'clock on a Friday, and the CEO is a happily married man for about 30 years. And he says, what you doing there? And he says, oh, I've got to get this PowerPoint uh, done. He says, um, you're married, man, aren't you? He says, yeah. He says, he says, think your wife might miss you? He says, go home. That'll wait till Monday. Go home and enjoy your wife. And what he told me was, he says, you know, I had been uh, accustomed to that. I had to produce all weekend. And when this man told me I was worthy to go home and spend time with my family, he says, I was so much more motivated when I got back on Monday than I've ever been because this guy, you know, had his back. That's that's just one of the examples if we can give that feeling of worthy and cherished and, and empowered. Uh, so when we're in a business, we've got to be asking ourselves these feelings. How are we doing? Are our customers feeling uh, welcomed, worthy, cherished, and empowered? Um, all of these feelings, anything that disrupts those feelings is going to disrupt customer satisfaction, uh, morale, and productivity in the company because our attachment systems run 24-7, 365. Wow, and I really like those. I mean, the six rights alone were pretty good to give us an understanding of how impactful these this way of thinking or this lens we can use, how impactful that can be in our businesses and in our relationships and really in our communities. And in, I mean, really, if people were to do more of these things or think about them more, society in general would be better off. But then when you started hitting on these feelings that tells our brains that we're loved or that we we feel that level of social belonging, I really, I really am, am looking at this because I see it in a lot of the other things we talk about with the fact that people do want to feel they do want to feel worthy. They want to feel like they're they're valued and that they need to be there, being cherished, being empowered, and being welcomed with joy. I mean, feeling like you're a part of that group. That's all important stuff. But now I can see in your book that you talk about ways that we can train ourselves to think more about this. And and again, I know we're kind of um, we kind of started at the individual level and we kind of moved on to a broader organizational level from an owner to a worker and how good leaders can use these things like welcome with joy, worthy, cherished, empowered to be better leaders. But now I'm kind of interested to hit on some of the things you talk about in your book when you, when you're asking how, or telling people, are you going to be able to train yourself to feel more welcome, to feel more worthy, to feel more cherished, to feel more empowered? Because I can see a lot of people that may feel like, they're stuck where they work. They may have a new boss or a new manager. They may be a 
a long-term employee that knows they're going to have different bosses as their as their life goes on and as they as they kind of work throughout their lives it seems like training ourselves to feel more in this way can help us through maybe some of those hard times where we might feel discouraged where we might not have that same level of engagement we did with the workplace before are there any tips or tools you have for somebody that maybe maybe the worker maybe in a place they're not really that happy with at the time are there any is there anything they can do to to better that feeling to train themselves to feel some of these things to improve their own moods and control their own destiny and their own feelings yeah there is I'm going to back it up just a second, and then I want to answer that question. There was um, a recent study uh, that was done at uh, about giving feedback in uh, corporations. Two scenarios: both it was all negative feedback, like a, like in a job uh, evaluation. And the first scenario was the the negative in, impact uh, uh, information was given, but it was given in a positive way, where the the boss was smiling and. There was a, a not a harsh tone in the voice. It was a welcoming tone, right? And saying, yes, you did this and this, this, but there was this overall positive way. And then uh, there was uh, the same information given to another group, uh, same negative job performance, but it was done in a very critical, harsh way with frowns on the face and all that. And what they found was not only did the two people receive that because there's something about welcoming and worthy when you're getting a, a, a difference, a differential between these two. But what they found out is when that person that got the negative one left the building, it became social contagion within the organization. Their experience, they go and talk about a replica uh, uh, in the break room and it got replicated. It rippled from the individual one on one with the boss and the subordinate all the way through the, the entire department. So we're on to something. Now, if you're on the negative side of that and you don't have a boss with really good emotional skills, okay, it's important to give feedback versus uh, making somebody feel a failure, okay? There's a difference between giving feedback and, and telling somebody they're a failure. Now, if you're, what we can do is we have to realize that these feelings that our brain uses as its natural GPS for love, in any relationship, these are our birthright. We have a right to feel welcomed in a relationship. We have a right to feel worthy, a right to feel cherished, and a right to feel empowered. Now, in any one given relationship, say with a boss, you may not be at, at the, the place where you can you can have the power to predict that, but you always have the right. And one <clears throat> really, and if you can do the deep work, and it really does take some one-on-one to go back and find the moment that you're your, your brain said, oh, it, it's not very good being welcomed. I, I don't know that I have a right to feel cherished. If we can, uh, and then swap it out for a real right to feel cherished, then that gives you, if you have to have that baseline feeling of, I am welcome, I am worthy, I am cherished, and I am proud. Once you feel those in your body and your gut, then when someone comes at you like that, some part of you has the emotional freedom to be able to say, hmm, they must be having a bad day or, hmm, isn't it interesting all the experiences they could be having with me? They're having that one. And you don't have to own it. You've got a little Teflon. And, but it comes down to feeling it. Where it becomes 
who goes from being Teflon to more like, you know, sticky glue is when if we're already feeling that we don't have a, uh, a right to feel welcome in this world or worthy to reach out for our needs or cherishable and supported uh, or empowered. If we have that deep wound and that deep, you know, feeling of unworthy or, uh, or unwelcome or not so cherished or unwelcome or uh, disempowered, that's when it sticks. That's when it affects our stories. So it's doing the deep work so our brain knows it has a right and can feel these at the core. That's the deep work that I did with myself. No matter if my mother didn't want me from the time I was born, I never felt welcomed as a child. I do now. I have that right now. And if someone doesn't welcome me, it does not say, oh, it does not confirm experience. It just remains theirs. That's when you have a full right to create your own experience instead of somebody else's experience bleeding into yours. Well, now I, I see a couple of very powerful things you said there. So, and, and really, I want to start with where you ended off, which is if you can train yourself, train your mind to be powerful enough to think that these things are a right. You do have the right to exist. You ha do have the right to have your needs met. You have the right to separate and belong. You have the right to create your own experience. You have all of these rights uh, to feel worthy, to feel cherished, to feel empowered. And if you recognize those are rights and you recognize it in a way that you can feel those things, when that negative thing happens, it's not reinforcing a negative mindset you had before. Now that you have this new mindset, it kind of bounces off because you're not, it, it's not engaging your feelings because it doesn't agree with your mindset. You're able to, to not, well, not really block those things, but deflect what, what you could be talking yourself uh, negatively about in another scenario. So with this deeper level of understanding of the rights you have and the way you can feel, you're able to deflect those negative feelings. Is that kind of what you're getting at? A little bit. A lot of it is. Although the word mindset is not quite it. I mean, uh, you know, when we talk about mindset, we're really talking about the prefrontal cortex. That's the part in the front, um, beneath our forehead that says, hi, I'm Mike, or I'm Gary, or I'm whoever the listener is today. These feelings are way down in the limbic system. They're way down in implicit memory. And implicit memory is not like exit. Implicit memory is the memory you have usually between zero and one and a half. That is, we can't recall it, but it's unforgettable. It's about feeling at a really deep course of your brain fires off, I am welcomable and worthable, you know, and all those, uh, that's a new word I just made up, but it must feel this. Now, about age three is when our prefrontal cortex comes up, and that's when it begins to create something called limiting beliefs. You've probably heard limiting beliefs are running your life. They're not running your life. They came on at age three to explain the feelings that were put in before the, a single word could be uttered, okay? And it's before stories. The feelings tell the brain what story to create the, and what belief to create and what the identity is and the mindset. So if we work just at mindset, it's not deep enough. Uh, it's about story, yes, but we, if we swap out the feelings, then we can start changing our beliefs. And when we change the feelings and the beliefs, that's when our brain has a full set of permissions to create a different story, 
a different mindset. But if these other feelings are still running and it's way deep, it really takes some one-on-one work with someone who can really go down and use some different tools. We'll be fighting with ourselves. We'll tell ourselves, but this thing will reset. So it's important to do some of the deepest work you can where you have to go back and really find out when was the time that three or four or five or seven or whatever it was that your brain said, oh, I can't reach out for my needs. I'm not worthy. That, and you have to reset it from there. Then the mindset changes. So it's a mindset, but it's also a feeling set as well. Well, and I find that really interesting because I'm somebody that believes that decision making is really emotional. And it sounds like if we hit these emotions and we're able to, to get these feelings, get that deeper level, it real it will impact the decisions we make in our day-to-day lives, which is what it sounds like you're getting at with regards to how you can have these better relationships, because if you can get those feelings, how you interact with the world around you will be based on those deeper level emotions. Yes. Oh, it is. I was just this week, I was dealing with a client who asked me, you know, sometimes they ask you questions, not love and relationships says, I'm having a problem getting to the gym and being motivated. Now that sounds like just a personal empowerment issue, not about relationships. How about I, can you help me for a half hour on getting to the gym? Turns out, though, what we found out, the feeling that was coming up for her was, you know, I'm not, it's, I, I can't have a better life. And when we tracked that down, it was from when her older sister died as a child. And some part of her is being saying, oh, I'm not worthy to have a life because my sister died. And so some part remembers that. So it, and now that's family, <laughs> that's relationship. This is a part of her that decided I would tone down my life in order to honor my, my sister, okay? So this feeling of unworthy was firing off and it went all the way back to a little one. So we could you know, talk about decision-making and everything, but until we went and, and found what feeling was really running the show and why it was running the show, you know, after we did the session, uh, she looked at me, she goes, man, I want to go out. I'm, I want to get to the gym right away. <laughs> it was the first time in her life she was free to feel worthy because her sister, the way the little one made it up was, I guess my sister wasn't worthy to live, right? And now she couldn't be uh, either. I found those are just the little fascinating little things about how these deep feelings are running all sorts of things at other levels. And that is really fascinating. And I know we have to wrap up this episode, but, and that's where I wanted to go with the other thing that you said about welcome with joy, feeling worthy, feeling cherished, feeling empowered. Because when we began the conversation, you talked about how people were given feedback and people that were given feedback in a certain way that that became, that became the way they interacted with their boss or, or whatever, and that it became a social contagion. And it can also be negative, negatively spread also. But what I wanted to leave off on, and I wanted to ask you this question, talk about this real quickly as we wrapped it up, because it appears to me as if it's a pretty good tool people can use when they're communicating with peers or when they're communicating with subordinates or when they're communicating with the with board members, when they're trying to communicate information, whether it's positive or negative, it sounds like if you come at it, if you think about or put yourself in the right frame when you're going to communicate, 
If you communicate something where you're thinking, hey, I want this person to feel welcomed. I want this person to feel worthy. I want this person to feel cherished. I want them to feel empowered. It sounds like if we looked at those four things before we engage in a conversation, regardless of it, if you're talking about something that would be quote unquote negative or positive, that will put us in the right frame to have a more positive communication experience with somebody and could actually help relationships, even though the the message or the, the core of the message is negative. It seems like those things might be a good tool we can use to communicate. Oh, I agree. This is a compass, and there's two ways you can use it. Uh, I tell all of my couples, you know, on Sunday night, have a little conversation and just kind of notice on a scale of one to ten, how welcome did I feel this week? How worthy, how cherished, and how empowered. And and how welcome did I allow my partner to feel? How worthy, how cherished, how empowered. And then share one to ten. And now, if you'll notice in any relationship, just think about well, scale of one to ten. How welcome do I feel? How worthy, how cherished, how empowered. If it's you know, if any of those are below seven, if one of them is missing, you're thinking, you know, we got some things to work on, but it's okay, it's good. If two are missing, you're probably thinking, what's my best friend's therapist number? And if three or four are missing of those feelings, you're in a toxic relationship. So I'm always, I'm training my brain, no matter whether I'm at Starbucks or I'm talking to my VA or my business coach or my clients, or my friends, or my son, I'm always tracking these four feelings. Am I giving them? Am I receiving them? And if you're not receiving them in an intimate relationship, it's a good check-in device in any relationship. If you're a boss, you should be asking, how well did I do here? Okay, because it's going to affect top down. Um, and then if you're not, you can say something like, if, if somebody says something snarky to you, you can say, could you say that? in a way that I feel a little more welcome. Uh, could you say that in a way that I feel a little more worthy? You know, I'm not feeling very cherished. Is there another way you could say that so I can? Um, is there any way uh, I can feel a little more empowered because this isn't helping me give you what you need? If you say things like that, then this is a feedback loop. And notice you're just making a request for what you need versus criticizing them which is kind of couples 101, to be honest with you, but it's also relationship 101. If you can use it as your, your guide, you know, like, the, you know, it's, it's like on your, uh, you know, those equalizer bars that used to be on your stereo to see where the setting is, right? And if you can use it as a means of giving feedback for what you need, uh, I guarantee you, if you start tracking these four feelings, think about if you go on a date, instead of asking what how much how tall they are or how good looking or how much money they make. How did, how much did they make me feel these? You'll pick a better partner if you're using these four feelings versus a list. If you're in a couple, you're going to do a much better job of navigating so you stay loving. And if you're in a or business or organization, you're going to be able to empower at your yourself and your entire company in much stronger ways because this these four feelings, your brain is tracking all over. And if you can give and take them in as many possibilities, it will make you a better spouse, a better friend, and a better leader, and a better boss, and a better everything. Well, I find it really interesting because I'm looking at those four things thinking I could do a, a whole research study on 
the best companies for customer service in the world. And I would, looking at this, I'm kind of thinking more than likely the ones that score high in making customers feel welcome, worthy, cherished, and empowered would probably be the ones ranked highest in customer service and probably have the highest profits and that sort of thing and return customers and all those good things businesses want just because you can just look at those and and know that a person would rather do business with a company that makes them feel that way than a company that may only hit one or may hit none of those things. I think that's pretty fascinating. I had a friend who had their business coaches, the two of them are, and they were sharing with me uh, that um, their sales were down dramatically, that people were actually attending, who uh, finally attend their events. And I was listening to them and and I was saying, you know, you guys do a, a, you do a really great job of welcoming people. But what if you added one more feeling? What if you also added the feeling of worthy to these offers? So what they did, it was bring, instead of just being so welcoming, come to our event, come to our event. They, they had this Facebook group in which they literally, if somebody signed up for the event early, you know, ahead of time, they anybody who signed up was given, I think, a 20 minute uh, uh, call with one of their uh, associate coaches that they could work on any business before uh, problem before the event. Their their attendance doubled. And while at the event, they had the highest ratio, they closed 80 percent of the room because they had made people feel not only welcome, but worthy. Just adding one thing, you know, they basically what they said is they went from a $300,000 event to a $800,000 event. Now, that's a, a half million dollars because they were good at welcome, but you just add one good feeling like worthy and suddenly sales goes up, attendance goes up. Imagine what this would do in any organization or business. Well, I think that's a wonderful place to kind of leave off because we've talked about so much. There's been so much information on this. Now, the first place I want to direct people to is your book, Safe to Love Again. You can't miss it. It's a heart-shaped balloon, hot air balloon uh, floating through the sky. You can't miss it. I'll put a link to it in the show notes to Amazon where they can pick it up. And they can also get more information from you at GarySalier.com. I'll put a link to that that in the show notes. But what kind of what kind of services do you offer, Gary, that if people are interested, they go to your website, they make contact with you. What do you do besides write the book and have a website? Uh, eventually there'll be more events. But right now you can go to the website. And if then if you're thinking, gosh, I, I don't usually feel these four feelings, or I don't have all of these rights, or I want to do better. And my relationship or business, you could you could contact me, uh, and I have something called a love map session. Uh, it could be a business map session too, to be honest with you. I'll listen in to your experience for about an hour. It's ninety seven bucks, and uh, and then we'll get a feeling for what's really how your brain is really wired for love or success, and what and what these rights you have and which one's missing, and then we can tell you some ways that uh, you can you can work to make it better. So at the moment, they go there, they contact me. There is the option of having a one-on-one with me an hour. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Gary, for coming on. Like I said, there's been a ton of value in this. Who would have thought that talking to a, an author about relationships and how you can how it's safe to love again would have so much value in actual 
business and for CEOs and people that are supervisors and leaders and workers, everybody in a business. I think it's really interesting how we saw so many connections with all the different relationships that we have in our lives. I really wanted to thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Mike. Uh, this and you know, you do a really great job with these feelings uh, in this show. And I want to say thank you. This has been a wonderful opportunity. Well, you're very welcome. It's been super interesting. I love how we can always draw these parallels to to different relationships and different ways people react and different ways people behave. And I just, it always comes back to the fact that we're all people and we all have these emotions that drive what we do and the roles we play in life and how we perceive life. So really, thank you so much for coming on. Now, everybody out there, if you have a chance, if you found value in this conversation we had with Gary Salyer, please do me a favor and share the podcast, rate it, leave a review. That really helps. And if you need anything from me, please feel free to visit me at CrucialTalks.com. Connect with me via email, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, whatever works for you. Have a great week. And remember, if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people. Please review, share, and subscribe to the Crucial Talks podcast. Visit CrucialTalks.com.